0: You've probably heard many reports of increasing persecution in the Middle East because of the rise of Islamic extremism. But did you know similar kinds of persecution are happening in South Asia as well? Brother Sean oversees VOM's work with Christians in Bangladesh.
1: You know, anyone who is is outspoken, is especially converting Muslims, are, are going to face increasing hostility and threats and, you know, potentially death. But this persecution doesn't discourage Brother Sean or
0: our persecuted brothers and sisters in Bangladesh from continuing their mission.
1: It's always really an exciting thing when you see the kind of persecution we're seeing in Bangladesh right now because it means the gospel is advancing, it's going forward. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is Brother Sean. Uh, He is one of our first name only guests that uh, we don't share his full name because obviously he's traveling uh, into and out of hostile and restricted nations Brother Sean oversees Voice of the Martyrs' work in South and Central Asia. So uh, he's got a broad span of territory uh, that he helps manage our projects and uh, interact with persecuted Christians in these countries. And he's just back from the country of Bangladesh. So we're particularly going to talk about that. Uh, Brother Sean, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thanks, Todd. It's good to join you.
0: Now, one of the things that happened is uh, as you're getting ready to go to Bangladesh, you hear that a Christian there has just been killed. Hmm. Uh, c- tell us a little bit about that story, what happened to him uh, and about, you know, how that affects you as you're thinking about, okay, I'm I'm getting ready to go to this country where somebody just lost their life.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of interesting too, because we were already planning the trip. We were going there to, to meet some widows of pastors who have already been martyred. And, um, you know, received received the story right before we left that there was a high-profile pastor. Everybody in the country knew him. I got multiple reports from from several different organizations. A well-known pastor working in a very difficult area um, was kind of the first fruits of that area, and then was leading a ministry of maybe 300 believers in the area. And uh, one morning on his daily walk, some radical Islamists who are considering themselves to be ISIS, claiming to be ISIS, slit his throat right there in the street and left him for dead. And so uh, this has kind of been a repeated way that, that the attacks have happened. You know that there's been everything from Christian pastors to even secularist atheist bloggers. The, the guys who are claiming to be ISIS, they kind of see their, their routine, their daily routine, and then usually attack them in the street when they're on their morning jog or evening walk or something like that.
0: So, anybody really who would be considered an enemy of Islam, whether they're saying, you know, on a blog that women shouldn't have to wear veils or they're leading people to Christ, either way, they're considered an enemy of Islam. What is the response from the government or the police or the authorities after a situation like that, where you have a pastor that literally has just been had his throat slit in the
1: street? Yeah. Well, actually, the government of Bangladesh seems to. Have a real concern to stop any kind of radical Islam in the country. They've taken pretty harsh measures to see that um, whenever they are able to apprehend attackers, that justice is served. Um, we know several cases of Christian pastors who have been martyred; that their attackers were actually executed. And so, even in this case, they've reached out to the family of the of the pastor who was martyred. They're they're trying to offer encouragement and protection where they can. So they really, I think, don't want to go down that road of, of being a country where it gets out of hand and where where radical Islam kind of dominates the scene.
0: What goes on in your spirit when you're going to sit down with this family who has just lost husband, just lost dad? How do you prepare yourself and what do you hope to kind of bring to them as you go and meet with them?
1: One thing things I want to listen to them. I want to hear their heart and their story. Um want to bring some kind of encouragement, especially that the body of Christ around the world knows about this. They care for this family, that there's prayer. Uh, and just let them know they're not alone. And I think that speaks volumes to them when they they can really feel like we're, we're going through this and there's, there's more people behind us. And sometimes the church in the immediate location, you know, out of fear, out of pressures, community pressures, can't always be that, that voice and those loving arms in, in the immediate situation. And so when, they, when when the larger body of Christ, maybe us here, even in the West, who are more removed from the situation, can sometimes offer more care, more encouragement. And, and so we, sometimes we just don't realize the pressures that they're going through that you know this, this particular family in Bangladesh, it just lost uh, their father who's been martyred. There's immense pressure on them by the community, by Muslims, to recant, to come back to Islam. Uh, the, the church is fearful immediately in, in that particular area, and it's just a really difficult situation.
0: How was the family? How are they doing with this, with this loss?
1: Uh, I was only able to meet one of the daughters and, and her husband. They're standing strong, and, and they really want to, uh, to honor their father's legacy as a pastor, as a martyr. They want to continue ministering and serving in that place. They're both very active in ministry. They're trying to be wise about how they do that, and and trying to be respectful of of other believers and just what they're going through and the and the pressures that they're facing because of this attack. So it's it's kind of rippled through the church. It's, it has a lot of uh, there's a lot of layers of nuance. And so it's, it's just a difficult time, it, really knowing what the right thing to do is. Even for them, do they stay, do they not? Something as simple as the landlord where they're renting from is now receiving death threats because he's renting to Christians. And do you continue to stay there? Do you need to leave? You're, you're even putting uh, your landlord in, in harm's way. So uh, a lot to process.
0: You also met some families of other martyrs mm-hmm. a little further down the road of, of grieving and recovering. And mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about some of those ladies and, and your interactions with them.
1: Well, it's interesting because they're all in, in kind of different stages of the grieving process. Some have been widows now for 10 years, um, some for just a few months. And it was interesting to me to see widows who, who it's, it's been a while now, you know, in a, in a culture like Bangladesh, you don't remarry usually, that are still really grieving their husbands. They really love their husbands and, and respected them. Just to see that love still pour out of them, of how much they miss them and, and just who they were and the godly men they were and how they led their families and all of those things. To seeing, you know, widows who have lost husbands recently and who are still young, and still have children in the home and just the continued difficulties that they have to go through. You know, an example of one has a 15-year-old son, and in addition to losing his father and and all that comes with that, having to now kind of be the man of the house, uh, having to help his mother, having to help with younger siblings, there's just not any community support for this young man. His teachers are making fun of him, making fun of his father for being a Christian. You know, she even told a story of him being in kind of the local barbershop with all the men of the community. And they just started making fun of his father while he was in the barbershop. And so he ran out with half of a haircut, running home, you know, just emotionally upset. It just couldn't stay in the situation. And just to think that this this is the kind of thing this young man has to face, something very difficult that in our culture everybody would come around you and, and try to help you get through it, and it would still be really hard in that culture nobody's helping you get through it they're just piling it on
0: they're mocking you yeah, yeah. you think about it at age 15 i mean it would be one thing if you're you know 25 or 30 right how do you how do you get through that when you're 15
1: yeah and i was really impressed we i got to meet the young man and uh, just to see he wants to serve the lord and he still still has joy in the midst of the suffering and uh, just the way he stepped up and he's serving his mother and uh it, it's really impressive
0: it's interesting to me the legacy that some of these martyrs, and Mm -hmm. and you talked about, you know, how they led their families and how they loved their wives. That's not necessarily a common thing in an Islamic culture. There, There's, you know, to treat a woman like royalty, to treat a woman like you really love her and you want to spend time with her. Mm -hmm. Some of these cultures, that's almost like a foreign concept. And so I think that speaks very highly when you say that a widow still, you know, 10 years later is still just grieving that loss of fellowship and companionship and love. Does that challenge you when when you come home and settle back in with your family? Does that challenge you? Okay, how am I going to build that same kind of legacy in my own family?
1: Yeah, it does. You know, something that's interesting, too, is that most of these guys came out of a Muslim background. And so their wives They got to see them change and radically change by Christ and just what that meant in their own lives and how it changed the dynamics of their family and changed the dynamics of how they were loved as a wife. And so, yeah, it's just, you know, and the family and marriage is such a picture of the gospel. And so the reminder of that and what that means and to come back and try to live that out in your own life, it's it's challenging. And and we have Christ. Yeah, we should. It should dramatically change how we act as as fathers and husbands.
0: I think of the biblical description of a new creation, a completely new thing, Mm -hmm. totally different from the old thing, totally different from the old way. And as you say, these wives saw that. Mm -hmm. uh, And in some cases, that's probably what led them to Christ is is seeing their husband. Wow, this is a completely different guy. Whatever happened to him, I want it to happen to me, too. Mm -hmm. How does... VOM come alongside some of these families? What are the kinds of things that we do to to help them?
1: When a husband's martyred, we typically want to assess the situation. Do we need to relocate the family or the widow? That's that's usually the first thing we address. Sometimes the pressures and the hostilities in the community are such that they just need to, to get away. There's a lot of other things too. a family dynamics. They may have an older son who still is a Muslim. And, you know, even though they're Father and mother were believers. They may be trying to press the the wife back into to Islam, the widow back into Islam.
0: I, I want to interrupt just a minute yeah. because relocate, I want to emphasize to our listeners, we mean relocate within the country.
1: Absolutely. We are, we're not
0: talking about, hey, let's bring them all to America. Right. We're talking about, okay, maybe a different village, different city, someplace a little bit away from that pressure.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's, it's just moving them down the road, getting them out of the immediate situation. And and so, and, and sometimes again, that means maybe getting them away from even the existing family that may be hostile to them and, and helping them be kind of self-sufficient, self-sustaining so that they're not having to rely on an older son that's pressuring them, has the financial ability to help them, but won't help them unless they come back to Islam or do whatever they're wanting them to do. So, so we, we kind of assess that. And then we, again, try to get them some kind of help to be Self-sustaining. Sometimes it, that could be a, you know, a cow, milk cow, or could be could be our animals that you know that help provide if they're able to sell the milk or sell eggs or whatever from um, livestock. We we really try to come along and provide the quality of life that they they had. So we're not we're not trying to raise them up you know three or four levels to some extravagant life they never expected or never had before. We're really just trying to give them back the life they had and maybe a little more and make it easier on them. And so every every situation is different.
0: What is the response? And you mentioned it a little bit in the the local area. After someone is killed, there's that kind of fear and pressure and stress. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What's the response of the wider body of Christ in Bangladesh? Do like these widows of martyrs, are they honored within the church culture there? Are they seen as somebody who made a great sacrifice? What's kind of their situation within the church body?
1: I think, you know, immediately people really want to gather around them and help them. And, and sometimes there is fear in that village, in that district, in that area. The larger body of Christ in Bangladesh, you know, I think really wants to to come around them. They do want to honor them. This is a time for them when they want to stand up. They want to link arms. They want to show solidarity and show boldness. And we're not going away. And... um and, and so there's kind of two different dynamics, you know, the the immediate area and then kind of the the surrounding area. but i th- I think overall, yeah, there's a a real um respect for those who have paid the ultimate price.
0: One of the Christians that you met uh, as we talked about your trip, shared something very interesting that his mom said to him after he became a Christian. Now, his mom is a Muslim. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that story and, and kind of what she said? Because I think yeah. our listeners will be like, wait a minute.
1: He came from a, a strong Muslim background, came to faith, and is, is now serving faithfully as, as a pastor. But when he became a, a Christian, his mom said that it would have been better for him to become a terrorist than to become a Christian. Wow. And uh, that's the disgrace that it brings upon a family to become a Christian and also just the trouble that it brings upon a family. You know, if, even if you were an ISIS terrorist, it wouldn't bring as much trouble on us from the, the larger body and the larger community around us than if, you know, you became a Christian. And so uh, that, that kind of gives you the, a sense of the weight and the pressure from your, even your own family. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Sean. He oversees VOM's
0: work in South and Central Asia, uh, and we're talking about a visit that he just made to Bangladesh. One of the Christians you met uh, is a man named Stephen that VOM helped years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what happened to him years ago and then how you came to meet him on this trip.
1: Well, back in 2004, I think it was December 31st, Stephen was just coming home from the market. He was a pastor. He kind of started a new work in an area where uh, Christianity had not made inroads. As he was coming back home, some radical Muslims stopped him on his motorbike. They kind of grabbed his hands, stuck a shotgun, point-blank to his jaw, and uh, pulled the trigger, and then stabbed him 11 times, Oh my! and then slit his throat. And so, uh, no way Stephen should be alive today but laying in a, in a in a pool of blood, you know, he said that the only thing he could think of at the time was uh, how he might not be able to preach the gospel again, <laughs> and that was that was. Uh, so his prayer laying there was, "Lord, uh, give me back my mouth," because he knew something was was obviously wrong with his with his mouth. Lord, just give me back my mouth. Wow. And so we, uh, back in 2005, 2006, were able to to come alongside him and really get him the extensive surgeries and treatments uh, that he needed, um, not only to save his life, but also all the nerve damage and repairs and things like that. And, and, and Steven's just he looks great. I mean, that's what's amazing is, I'd, I'd never met him before, but to, to see him for the first time and to see him smile and to see a handsome man with uh, obviously some disfigurement, but just a, a beautiful smile, and, uh, and still being able now to serve the Lord and to be able to do that relatively pain-free until just recently. But some of those surgeries are starting to, to deteriorate, and he's needing some more help immediately.
0: And what was his comment about meeting with you?
1: You know, it was such a pleasure to, to meet him. He was so excited that we would even show up and see him again. Uh, he was afraid, actually, to ask us for help. It was a third party that knew about his situation and really had kind of introduced us to him the first time, who knew he was in pain and and knew some of the surgeries were deteriorating. And so,, uh, you know, asked us if there was anything we could do. And so when we actually reached out to Stephen again, he was just so delighted. You know, he said, i you guys gave me back my life, and I just you did so much for me. I didn't think that I could ask for any more help. And the fact that now you're here, Offering to continue to walk with me was just such an encouragement.
0: I just think of the absolutely, we want to help yeah. you. The other thing I think about though is what an incredible testimony he mm-hmm. must have
1: mm-hmm.
0: when he says, Listen, they shot me in the face with a shotgun right. and slit my throat and stabbed me 11 times, but I'm still here. Mm-hmm you know, how do you explain that other than, well, God must have huge plans for you, my friend, because otherwise there's there's no reason you should be alive.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the statement he made to us was, you know, VOM gave me back my life, you know, and we just, I was like, brother, uh-huh. only, only, only the Lord could give you back your life because <laughs> anybody who's shot with a shotgun and has their throat slit and stabbed multiple times. I mean, that was, it was a miracle of the Lord that he's alive. But I think what he means in that is we were able to give him back some of those things that allowed him to continue in ministry. He didn't just have to serve the rest of his life sort of on the sidelines, but he's been able to be actively involved in serving the Lord and has uh, seen a church planted in that village uh, again does have favor with locals because they know what he's gone through you know his he's He's just a living testimony you see the scars and and you see a man that suffered for christ and has suffered for what he believes in. And that's made an impact in, in how he's been able to serve the Lord.
0: You talked a little bit about the fact that, that some of these attacks are taking place at the hands of ISIS or people who identify with ISIS. Uh, you talked about the, the government actually responding in a positive way, arresting mm-hmm. people, holding people accountable. So what is the persecution situation right now for Christians in Bangladesh? What, what, who are the persecutors uh, and what's the danger? What's the risk?
1: The persecution is coming from radical Islam, and you, there are some who are claiming that that that's ISIS. The government continues to deny that ISIS is involved in in South Asia or in Bangladesh, and, and probably there is a connection in some way, whether it's just an ideological connection or whether they're really receiving training or funding in some way. But you know, anyone who is is outspoken is especially converting Muslims. Are are going to face increasing hostility and threats and you know potentially death. It does seem like the government wants to uh, control that. They they really do want to um, protect Christians minorities where they can, and of course they can't be any everywhere all the time. But they have shown a real interest in protecting minorities and executing justice uh, when there are attacks, and so. Um, Uh, even on this trip, when we went there, we received a mandatory police escort. (laughs) We did not want the police escort, but they found us at the airport and escorted us uh, when we were in one of the more remote locations and even offered personal bodyguards uh, for us. And so they don't want, you know, Americans killed uh, in Bangladesh. And and I think in a real sense, they don't want to become Pakistan. Uh, you know, For some of our listeners, they may know that Bangladesh was actually one time East Pakistan and um, fought for independence uh, back in the 70s. And they've seen the road that, that Pakistan's gone down, and they don't want to become that country where radical Islam is dominating the scene. And I think they really want to be a, a country that's developing and there's more freedom of expression and some of those things. So they've articulated that as a government that we want to protect minorities, we want to be a country that's that's growing in economic development and those things. And so an attack on Christians even right now, immediately, is sort of a, an attack on the government. And so it may just be political reasons, but I think we're seeing the government kind of step up and try to do their best mm. to, to provide protection and justice. Which
0: yeah, we're whether it's political yeah, or not, exactly. we're thankful. Absolutely. If someone comes to faith, really the mm-hmm. first line of persecution is probably their own family. family. Absolutely. Uh, who who feel that shame that we talked about. Mm-hmm. We always want to equip our listeners to pray. How mm-hmm. how can we pray for the church in Bangladesh?
1: I think right now the church really needs unity. They they, they need to link arms. They need to stand together. They need boldness, you know, and there are those who want to be bold and, and there are those who maybe are a little more timid right now. And, of course, it's easy for the people. The people who are wanting to be bold sometimes are more removed from the situation. It's easy for them to say, hey, guys, let's be bold when the ones who are right in the throes of it are uh, are facing, you know, death I'd, I'd and, and other things. Let's be careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, – yeah, just that the, that the Spirit of God would come and bring just real unity and boldness to the church there.
0: What are some of the ways, and we talked about helping the families of martyrs, but mm-hmm. what are some of the other ways that Voice of the Martyrs is involved in helping the church?
1: You know, one of my favorite projects we have is is a safe house. And a, this is just a way that when Christians are right in the middle of it, they can kind of get a retreat. Maybe come to the city, go to a safe house, know there's a place where their family can be safe for a while, even receive some training while they're at the safe House before kind of relaunching into their context. And so that's just a great way to refresh the troops and to give them some reprieve from what's going on. But there's a lot of other exciting things of radio ministry, of Bible distributions, of supporting, you know, frontline workers with the tools they need to advance the gospel. And so it's always really an exciting thing when you see the kind of persecution we're seeing in Bangladesh right now because it means the gospel advancing. It's going forward. And we know that we're we're a part of helping the church advance the gospel, but when persecution comes, we get to help the church, you know, go through rebuilding and and the grieving process and the uh, the helping of the the widows and and all that that entails.
0: As you're kind of helping manage those projects and direct those projects, what's the biggest challenge for you, uh, in, in terms of deciding? Okay, yeah, we do want to do this. No, we better not do that how do you kind of work through those thought processes and and what's the hardest part of that?
1: Well, we always try to be field driven. So we're always listening to the field and and really asking, what does the church need? What does the field need in in order to do what God's called them to do? So we're not coming with our our vision of, of what we think God wants in Bangladesh. We're really trying to listen to the leaders there and what they need. And so it's really just trying to to, to listen to that to be wise uh, a multitude of counselors of, of different ministries and and different pastors and different churches in the country and um, really just trying to have a servant's heart there's no magical formula for what's what's right and what's wrong it's it's a lot of nuance it's a lot of prayer it's a lot of collective wisdom and and so we just try to walk with them and be led by the spirit as they're led by the spirit and pray with them and of course, it has to fit kind of our purposes as a mission, with VOM. But when all that comes together, it's that's where we get the right projects and are able to really uh, help in a in a productive way. I think.
0: For our listeners, you know, obviously these projects are funded by donors to Voice of the Martyrs. If you come to our website, VOMRadio.net, uh, there is a donate tab at the top of the page, and you could support the Families of Martyrs Fund, which goes to help some of these widows in Bangladesh, uh, as well as families of martyrs around the world. Uh, You could support the Frontline Ministry Fund, which is helping fund some of these projects uh, to advance the gospel in Mm -hmm. places like Bangladesh. Uh, So you can be a part of these that we've been talking about with Brother Sean today. Uh, Sean, last question. Mm -hmm. When you got home from the trip, What was the one story that you really wanted to share with your wife and with your kids that that you wanted them to know, hey, I met this guy or I met this lady? What was the story that kind of stuck with
1: you? Well, the the story that really stuck with me was, was the story of Stephen, the one we've talked about that was shot in the face, had his throat slit, and yet survived all of that. And the reason why was to get to help my family even understand how they are a part of fellowshipping with the church in Bangladesh. Sitting across from from Stephen, he said these words to me. He said, "I pray that VOM will continue long in ministry." He said, "Your ministry is different. This is a direct quote. You bring encouragement and make us feel like real brothers and sisters in Christ." And so, I want my family to hear that. I want your listeners to hear that. I want to hear anyone who is a part of supporting the ministry at VOM to hear that. Is that they feel that fellowship. They feel your love. They feel your encouragement. And it makes them feel like real brothers and sisters in Christ, like this a part of the larger body that they're not forgotten. And that's what our ministry is about. And to get to sit across from someone and hear them articulate who we are to us, that makes my day. It, it really does. Um,
0: and how humbling to think that this guy's praying for us. Absolutely.
1: I, I, that was a cool thing. He says he, you know, he said he visited our website frequently wow. just to see how we were doing and to, and to pray for us. And so the fellowship goes both ways. Wow.
0: What a blessing. Brother Sean, thank you for your work. Thank you for your ministry here. Uh, and thanks for allowing us to kind of go along and meet some of the people that you met in Bangladesh.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Todd.
0: You've been listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We've been speaking with Brother Sean. He oversees VOM's work in South and Central Asia, and uh, we've been talking about Bangladesh and some of the great brothers and sisters there. You can listen to this interview again if you come to our website, vomradio.net. You can hear this. You can hear all of our other conversations with uh, folks from around the world. You can also subscribe to the VOM Radio podcast so that you never miss an episode. Thank you for being with us. I hope you'll be back with us next week here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.